Hello, Valley family. Welcome to the kickoff of our brand new series that we're calling Family Matters. And we just thought this is a perfect time to, to talk about family. We're going to talk about parenting. We're going to talk about marriage uh, in, in starting this week and the next four weeks, especially because it's Mother's Day. And we just want to wish all the moms out there uh, happy Mother's Day. We hope you get really super spoiled because you do so much for us uh, all the time. And, and really, it shouldn't just be one day. Uh, a, a year, but uh, we, we love and appreciate all the moms out there and all that you do sacrificially and love us so well. So happy Mother's Day to everyone. Uh, as we kick off today uh, here at our Hopewell campus, we actually are having child dedications as well. Over 20 kids are going to be dedicated. Uh, so it's a really, really big day. And as you can tell, the church is growing. It's one of those, it's my, one of my favorite days of the year, really, when we get to just, just dedicate our kids back to, to Jesus, recognizing their gifts. Uh, from the Lord and to just bless the kids and so uh, we're very very excited and we're, we're real excited and grateful that you're joining us on our online campus uh, today uh, and, and as we kick off this series I wanted to talk specifically about building a lasting family building a lasting family now it may be that uh, you didn't grow up necessarily with a great family uh, situation, uh, the circumstances and situation weren't real positive. Uh, you're going to get a lot out of this series. Uh, my personal journey was I, I did. I grew up in a Christian home, and I'm really grateful for that. Uh, the heritage that I received and, and the direction and the spiritual guidance from my parents. Uh, the same is true for my wife, Susie. And yet, we had to each make our own decisions. And uh, it, it's not an iron lock that because you grew up in a Christian home, you know you're going to be a Christian, or that even you're going to have necessarily a good family or marriage on your own one day, uh, that's not necessarily, you know, just an ironclad thing. And so that's why it's so important that we look at this over the next few weeks, this whole idea of family matters, marriage, parenting, you know, just being a family, because maybe it was less than ideal, your situation, but you can change it today. By God's grace, and he wants to pour out his grace, you, you can begin to change it for your life and for those to come. And, and so this is really important. Family was God's idea. He's the one that created family, and he knows how it works best. So that's what we're going to be looking at, a lot of uh, what the Bible says and real practical in this series. And, and so really as we start out, I, I guess there's two mindsets that we need to kind of identify first and foremost, and, and that is this. The world mindset that says money plus status equals success. If I've got money and if I've got power and influence, then I'm going to be successful, particularly with my family. I'll be able to give my family everything that, that I want to do. But God's view, not the world mindset, the world view, but God's view, the priorities are different. It's God plus family equals success. In other words, the trust is on God. It's not on money. It's not on power. It's not on status. The trust is, I'm putting my trust in God, and, and I'm prioritizing my family, and because of that, I'm going to be successful. So, just as we start out, where do you kind of fit in there? Maybe you grew up, and, and the family idea or mindset was money. Make a lot of money. Be successful. Have influence. Social status. You're going to be successful. But the reality, even this week, as we heard Bill Gates is divorcing his wife, that, uh, you know what, just because you got a lot of money doesn't mean you got happiness. Doesn't mean you're going to have a great marriage. 
That's the world mindset. God's mindset is God plus money equals success. In fact, Jesus talked about this. Uh, Let's look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. And these notes are on our website, valleyny.cc, under the sermon note, message note section. You can follow along. But Jesus is telling a parable about how to build our homes, how to build our families, how to build our marriages. Look at what he says. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So it's not just enough to hear God's word. We've got to do God's word. We've got to actually put them into practice. He said it's not enough. The wise man is not just someone who hears the words of Jesus, but we actually put them into practice. That's how we become wise. And they build their house on the rock. And the rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house. And he goes on and says, yet it did not fall. There's all these storms, all this adversity, the crisis, but the house did not fall because it had a foundation on the rock. But everyone, watch this now, who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice. In other words, sermon notes full, notebooks full of sermon notes, but never applies it to their actual life and relationships. It doesn't help them at all. Jesus says they're a foolish person. That, that hears the words of mine but does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. So it is not enough. It's really important to hear the words of Jesus, to hear God's word is critically important, but that in and of itself is not enough for you and I to have a healthy God Christ-centered family. It's not enough. We have to put into practice. We can't just be hearers of the word as the apostle James says in the book of James in the New Testament. We have to be doers of the word. That's how we build our family, our marriage, our house upon the rock. There's three things really real quickly that Jesus is, is really promising in this parable as we start this series. First of all, Jesus promises serious difficulties in all of our lives. That there's gonna, he's like, don't be surprised. The storm's gonna come. That's why you've gotta be real intentional about how you're building your family, how you're building your marriage. Because he promises difficulties are gonna come. Wise builders, let me put it this way, build for worst case scenarios. It's not about building a home on the sunny days. It's about can it withstand the storm. A wise builder builds for worst case scenarios. And your house is only as strong as the foundation. Uh, you know, I remember uh, we, in our house, uh, our home back a number of years ago, we were having a problem. Our basement was kind of flooding. And uh, it was because of some of the rain drainage that was coming down. It was seeping into uh, the windows of our basement. And so we, we had a... Uh, excavator come over and we we're talking about what needs to happen here and uh, actually uh, I, I would say you know maybe we need a drainage curtain drain and, and we're talking about all this and he made this statement I'll never forget this I was like you know we just need to be able to take care of this little bit of run uh, rain runoff and, and he made this statement don't build a drainage ditch for rain you build one for floods you build it for flood because you don't want to have a flood and, and then you, you lose everything so you, you don't build the drainage ditch just for a little bit of rain. You, you build for the worst case scenario. And then you're going to be okay when the worst case scenario comes. Because Jesus said it's going to get bad. Life is bad. Life is difficult. 
The second promise that he makes is this. Jesus promises total security and success to those who obey his word. And I know the pushback is, is always like, yeah, well, I tried it. That's not, he's not talking about trying. He's talking about building your life. He's talking about making the decision from this day forward, no turning back, I'm going to build my life on Jesus Christ. I'm going to listen to him, and I'm going to do what he says. It's not like I gave it a little effort for a month or two. I'm going to build my marriage on Jesus. I'm going to build my family on Christ. And he promises, not that life is going to be easy, life's still going to be difficult, but he makes this promise security and success for those who obey his word. And the third thing that he promises is this. Jesus promises failure to every person and family that disobeys his word. He says you're not going to succeed. Your family's not going to be what you want it to be. If you're trying to build it on the world mindset instead of on God's word, if you're trying to build it on money and status, you're going you're to have failure. If you build it on God and the family the way he wants family to be, the way he created the whole idea and concept of family, then you're going to have success. And so I guess it kind of leaves you with the question, why would somebody build their house in the sand anyway? Why would you, why would you do that? If you know, if you, Jesus says it's not going to succeed, it's going to fail, you're going to have heartbreak and pain and hardship and all this. Why would you do that? I think there's three reasons for that as well. First of all, it's real, it's real comfortable. We're not living today uh, in, in our country. We're not living in a non-biblical world or a non-biblical culture. It's not that we don't know. We're living in an anti-biblical world. We're living in a culture in the United States, I'm talking about, that is against, dead set against anything that reflects the glory of God and Jesus Christ. It's anti-Christ, our culture. And so it's real comfortable just to go along with what everybody else did. But you were created, it's hard to blend in when you were created to stand out. And as Christians, you and I are called to stand out, to be salt and to be light. But I think that's why sometimes people choose not to build on the rock of Jesus Christ and his teachings and living the word of God, but to to build their home on the sand. Secondly, it's popular. It's just popular. It's a little bit harder to find an example to follow. That's why we're doing a series like this. Because we want to go to God's word and find out, okay, what are the iron, what's the bedrock, could I put it this way, following the the analogy, what's the bedrock of God's word that we need to build our families on and our marriages on and our parenting on? And and let's face it also, uh, the sand is, is conformable. The sand is very conformable. When, when you lay down on the sand, you know, think about a beach. When you lay down on the sand and you get up, the sand looks like you. But when you lay down on the rock and you get up, you look like the rock. That's why everybody, when you go to the beach, they're trying to get past the rocks and get to the sand because it's soft and it conforms to what they want. In other words, if it feels good, you just do it. That's building your house on the sand and when the storm comes jesus says it's going to crash it's going to completely crash and don't be surprised when it does crash and so it's comfortable see jesus wants you and i to conform to him he's not about to conform to you and he's not about to conform to me either 
He's saying, you conform to me, Jesus says, conform to him, and we'll withstand any storm that we ever face in this life. You know, honestly, I I don't want a God who's so small that I can manipulate him. I, I want a God who's so big I can worship him. And that's who Jesus is. And he's like, you're not gonna manipulate me. You're not gonna change me. I want you to succeed. Build your house. Build your family. Build your marriage. Build your parenting on God's word. And it will succeed. He promises that. It's powerful. But the choice is ours. So don't let, let's, let's stop building on sand. And let's shift. If we've been building on sand, let's start building our house. Let's start building our families. Let's start building our marriage to last. So how do you build your family to last? How, how can we actually do that? Four things I think that are real practical and important that I want to just share with you from God's word today. And, and, and it's not that my family's perfect. Don't get me wrong. We, we have struggles. We certainly do. I, I will say this. Uh, we have a real healthy family. Uh, all, all three of our, our kids, uh, Susie and mine, we had three daughters. All three of them are in their 20s. All three of them love Jesus, serving Jesus, walking with Jesus, and, and that doesn't happen by accident. That's a lot of hard work, and it's a lot of times just, no, God, I'm, we're not going to do this the way we want to inside. We're, we're going to follow your word in raising our kids in the way that they should go, and, and it's, it's not an accident. No, no one gets you know, godly kids by accident. It's a lot of hard work, and it really starts with, as we're going to look at next week a little bit more, it starts with a Christ-centered marriage. That's how you get godly kids, that priority between a husband and wife. But, but for the sake of today, as we're talking in Mother's Day, this message uh, about building a lasting legacy, how do you build your family to last? Here's the first thing. Lean into the lordship of Jesus and his word. We need to lean into the lordship uh, of Jesus and his word. See, God doesn't bless good decisions. He doesn't. A lot of times we think God will bless my good decisions. God doesn't bless good decisions. God blesses his decisions. God doesn't bless good ideas. God blesses his ideas. We need to lean into the lordship uh, of Jesus and his word. What does God's word say? There's so much that his word actually tells us. And, and, and if there's something that we can't find in, in God's word that, that we're facing a decision and we don't know what to do, you know, uh, Susie and I have just made this a priority in our marriage for the last 31 years, and that is, number one, we're going to discuss it together, and then we're going to pray about it. We're going to pray about what car to buy. We're going to, we're going to pray about where to, uh, should, should we send our kids to public school or private school. And we're going to be on the same page together. We're going to be in agreement. And we're going to pray. We're going to discuss it. And then we're going to be in agreement about it. And it's amazing. Those three things line up. It's amazing how God blesses in, in any and every situation. We're going to pray about it. We're going to discuss it, we're going to be in agreement, and then we're going to do it. It's so critically important. We learn to lean on the lordship of Jesus and what he has to say. 
Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6, it's interesting. It says, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned uh, to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him, that's speaking of Jesus prophetically, the iniquity of us all. See, the reason that Jesus died is, is to forgive us for our sin of independence. There's so much, we talked about this even last week, uh, in our series uh, uh, about uh, winning the war in your mind, and, and we talked about anxiety and calm my anxious heart. There's so much that God wants to do, but we gotta pray. We, we don't have because we don't ask. And, and, and Jesus came because we, we all go astray. We're independent. We don't wanna pray. We don't wanna ask. We really want our way, not his way. And, and that's why he died. That's why he lived that sinless life for you. That's why he died a sacrificial and a substitutional death for you in your place as a substitute. And that's why he rose from the dead, to forgive us of our sin of independence. Because we're just like sheep. Sheep don't have a navigation. Sheep need a shepherd. And as we've talked about previously in weeks past also, a sheep left by itself is not going to last very long. It's going to have harm and destruction and a lot of pain. And so learn to lean into the lordship of Jesus and his word. Every day we just have to pray and we have to trust him for protection, direction, and provision. And this is why I love Psalm 23. It's so beautiful. It's about the relationship between a sheep and a shepherd. And, and, and look at what it says, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. Everything after this is completely conditional. If Jesus isn't your shepherd, you don't get any of this. None of this is available to you. But when Jesus is my shepherd, when Jesus is the Lord of my life, when I'm looking to Jesus, that he, I've surrendered my life to him. He, my life belongs to him. He's the shepherd. He's my Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides the still waters. He restores my soul. Boy, I love that. You know, that, that, that means all the hurt. Maybe, maybe your family situation was painful. Maybe it wasn't even a family. He restores my soul. Only Jesus can restore soul. When, he's, when you're when you've given your life to him and he's the shepherd, the Lord, he restores my soul. We talked about that in our last series as well, just the rewiring of our minds. We need him to heal our, our thoughts, change the way we think that we can win the war. In our mind. He restores my soul. Does your soul need to be restored today? Make Jesus the Lord of your life the shepherd of your soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. It's all about him. It's not about me. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you're with me. Why? He's my shepherd. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy. There are people hating on me and you're still blessing me. Because you're my shepherd. You prepare a table before me uh, in the presence of my enemy. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. 
and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Because he's the shepherd. That's the life of a person who's led by Jesus Christ. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. His house is a priority. His people are a priority. I want to be in the house of God. That's what David said. He's my shepherd. I want to be with him, and I want to be with his people. I love that. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. You know, actually, Susie and I thought about naming our daughters Surely, goodness, and mercy, but we were afraid they'd follow us all the days of their life. So instead, it's Michaela, Brooke, and Sophia. But uh, anyway, we thought about that. Not really. It's one of my best jokes, and I just kind of wanted to... Okay, we're going to move on. So anyway, uh, second thing is this. Rely on your Heavenly Father's care and provision. Rely on your Heavenly Father's care and provision. So many times the world says, rely on money, rely on influence and power, and you'll be successful. And all you got to do is just turn on the news. People, money, power, falling apart, miserable, depressed. Doesn't work. Overpromises, never delivers. And Jesus talked about, we have to make this choice. We, we've got to choose to rely on our Heavenly Father's care and provision and not what we can make happen, the world system. Look at what he said, and I, it's kind of a lengthy passage, but I, I, it's just so clear when he talks about this. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, he says, No one can serve two masters. It's impossible. For either, for either he will hate the one or love the other, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon is a name for money. He says you cannot serve. God cannot be first in your life if you're pursuing money first above anything else. Because you'll trust in your money. And you will not trust in God. He will not be first. He will not be center in your life. And he will not stand to be second. It says, you cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. They're not worried about it. He takes care of them. Are you not more valuable than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add a cubit to his statue? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon, who was the wealthiest man on the planet in his lifetime, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the fields, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. What's he saying? You're not trusting your heavenly Father for his care and his provision. You, you don't have faith. Oh, you of little faith. Therefore, do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. In other words, after all these things, people that don't know God run after all this stuff. That's the world mindset. He said, you got to choose God or money. Then he goes on to say, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. We need to rely on our heavenly Father's care and provision. Later on in the New Testament, in, in the 
letter of 1 John, the Holy Spirit speaking through the Apostle John just like he was speaking through Matthew, what we just read there. And look at what John says, 1 John 2, 15 and 17. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. It's not from God. The world and his desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Whoever is trusting in God's care and provision and not seeking after the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, not pursuing the world mindset, but pursuing Jesus, they can trust in God's care and they can trust in God's provision. You know, uh, I was working on a project this week for a ministry thing that, that I'm, I'm embarking on outside the church at this time, uh, kind of an extra little assignment, and uh, I had to do something for it. Uh, I've never done before. I, I had to write a professional vita, which vita is the Latin word for life, so it's my life, kind of like a resume, but beefier. I haven't done that in 31 years, and, and as I was, I was kind of writing this professional vita uh, for some folks that... Uh, we're, we're encouraging me to do that. You know, I was just looking back over the last uh, 31 years, literally, and, and I remember when I took the job here, May 20th, 1990, uh, as a pastor, I remember I made a whopping uh, 2,000 bucks a month, $24,000, I was full-time, by the way, $24,000 a year, $24,000 a year. That was what I made for, I think, the first eight years till, till almost I was 30, and uh, we didn't have much. I mean, Susie and I had a one-bedroom apartment that literally had a kitchen that had one drawer in it, one drawer in it, and you could put one fork, one knife, one spoon, and it was full. I, I mean, the, the, the apartment was so small, we, we had to, like, walk out into the hallway outside the apartment just to have room to change our mind. That's how small it was. I mean, it was small. And, and yet we, we grew up in homes where we learned to put God first in your finances and he'll bless you. And it's called tithing. Give God the first 10% of your gross income, every paycheck, and God will bless you. And, and you know what? My grandfather had taught me that. What a legacy that I learned that from my grandfather. And I've shared that before. And, and we decided, even though we didn't make much, we're, we're gonna tithe. And, and, and so 200 bucks a month, the first 200 bucks, we, we tithe back to God's work, back to the church. And, and you know what? For eight years, I, I think I got one raise in eight years. I think it was like $75 a month or something like that. But God blessed us. And, and I never forget that as I was just thinking about how God has just blessed us through the years, just continuing to put him first in, in our finances. And, and then making decisions for our kids in terms of their education and all, and we made our last tuition payment, you know, for our kids' college just uh, uh, back a few months ago. Thank you, Jesus. He's just provided. He's provided for us. When, when the church couldn't just do anything else, I, I was able to travel, get some more honorariums teaching and traveling that way, coaching high school football, little additional income. And, and we actually have in our bedroom a digital clock that was a wedding gift that we still use, a digital radio 
It's 31 years old. And it still lies. And it's just like, God says, you can trust me. I'll care for you. I'll provide for you. We haven't had to buy a digital clock in 31 years. And those things generally break down like in you know, a month and a half or something. 31 years. And it's like this cheap piece of plastic. 31 years. Do you trust God? Do, do you trust him? Are you, are you relying on our Heavenly Father's care and provision? See, here's the thing. If you do not have a trusting relationship with God as your father, you will always have a wrong relationship with money. If you don't really trust God that he loves you, he cares about you, you'll always handle money in a way that is offensive to God. Because you're like, I gotta, ha- I, gotta, I gotta take care of all this on my own because he's not really looking out for me. He's not really trusting me. This is mine, you can't have it. Or he's my heavenly father and I'm gonna put him first in my finances because I know he loves me. And he didn't even spare his son for me. He loves me so much that, that he sent his son that all I had to do was receive him and I'd receive eternal life. That's how much he loves me. He's not holding back anything. I want to put it in his hands. I trust you, Heavenly Father. If we don't have that relationship, a trusting relationship with our Heavenly Father, we're always going to handle money in a way that is contrary to him and what he wants for you and I. See, when I give financially, I give in faith because I know I have a heavenly father and I trust him to provide, even though I give 10% back to his work. And, and we, we don't even tithe anymore. We give much more than that on an annual basis because we trust him. We trust him. That's what it means to build your life upon the rock is we lean into the lordship of Jesus and his word. We rely on our heavenly father for care and provision. Here's the third thing. We weigh the generational impact of our behavior. The generational impact of our behavior. Proverbs chapter 13 verse 22 gives us that mindset. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, to his grandchildren. But the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. The wealth of the sinner, he ends with nothing. His kids, his grandchildren, nothing at all. And, and, and even recently, Susie and I have just updated all of our kind of like financial planning stuff for the future because we don't have any grandchildren. But, but one day we, we will. And, and I pray that I live to see them. But if I don't, I'm going to provide for them. Because that's what a good man, it doesn't even say a great man, it doesn't even say a perfect man, it's just, it's just good. Just being a good man leaves an inheritance to his grandchildren. In other words, doesn't consume everything on himself, but, but knows that they're impacting the generations that come, that the actions, the decisions that I make today are impacting not just the next generation, but the generation after that as well, for good or for bad. And so we have to kind of take that long view, building our house on the right, weigh the generational impact of our behavior. And so I think an honest question sometimes Susan and I ask ourselves is this, what are our children and our grandchildren going to have to recover from because of us? 
because of foolish decisions that we've made, because of stupid, selfish decisions that we've made? Are we making it harder on our kids? Are we making it harder on our grandchildren? Or, instead, are we setting them up for success because our children can look at mom and dad, they're not perfect, but you know what? Jesus was the Lord of their marriage and Lord of our family growing up. And they've given them, we've given them an example to follow, even for one day when they're married and they have their own children. And there's those grandchildren I'm talking about. And so I think this is a great question to ask yourself. If you're married, if you, if you have a family, what are your children and your grandchildren going to have to recover from because of you? Are we making their lives harder because of the decisions that we're making today that don't line up with God's word and, and prove that Jesus is not our shepherd? Or, or ask this question, are you going to give your children and grandchildren an advantage through God's blessing? Because God's not required to bless anyone or anything. We receive God's blessing when we walk in the way he wants us to, when we follow Jesus Christ, when we don't just hear his word, but we do them. We apply his word. That's what it means to build our house, build our marriage, build our family on the rock, not on the sand. And, and here's the fourth thing. I think it's really important in terms of building on a legacy, uh, building a lasting family on a, on a legacy of the rock. Plant your family in a church for spiritual growth and a spiritual family. Plan it. Plan it. So important. Prioritize. That's what, that's what the psalmist said, I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That, that I'll prioritize a church that, that is a Bible-believing, like we are here at Valley, Maybe you're just checking us out. Maybe a friend said, hey, check out this, this on, online campus that, that my church has. You know, plant yourself in a church where, where you can grow spiritually and you can also become part of a spiritual family. Because I promise you this, the best friends you're ever gonna find are in church. The friends that are gonna encourage you to follow Jesus. It's not out there it's in a church. Not only a Bible-believing, but, but a, a Bible-following church. Best friends that are going to influence not only your marriage to be everything God wants it to be, but your parenting, your kids as well, that are going to encourage you. When, when, when tough times come, struggles come, that are going to surround you and support you. It's when you're planted in the house of God. Not, not just kind of like, you know, tumbleweed just blowing around, a leaf just flying through the air. Plant your family and your church in a spiritual, for a spiritual growth and a spiritual family. See, there's two definitions of family. One is by blood, and one is by the Spirit. That, that's how a husband and wife become family. It is the Spirit. They're no longer two, but they're one. That God joins them by Spirit. They're spiritual family and there's blood family. Oh, by the way, church, you're also blood family because we share in common the shed blood of Jesus. And so many times we minimize the importance of our spiritual growth being planted in a spiritual family. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, 
writer of Hebrews puts it this way, let us consider how we can spur one another on towards love and good deeds. That's what happens in a spiritual family when you're committed and, and planted in a spiritual family, a church. Not giving up meeting together, so important, getting there, being there, talking with one another. Not to giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. And listen, because of COVID, it's become a bigger and bigger habit. And some habits are not good habits. Some habits are not holy habits. And so it says, don't do that. But encouraging one another all, uh, and all the more as you see the day approaching. What is the day? That's the, the judgment day when Jesus returns again. And so it's so important, plant your family in a church for spiritual growth and a spiritual family. And, and, and I am passionate about this, and this is why I'm, I'm real passionate about our Valley Kids ministry, our Valley Student ministry, because you know what? Little old Greg Williamson grew up in this church. And I was in Valley Kids. They didn't call it then. Didn't call it that back then. And, and I was in the Valley Student ministry, called it Youth Group. And, and I know... I wouldn't be who I am today if it weren't for the spiritual family called Valley Christian Church. If, if that was not a priority that, that, that my family made sure of, and it wasn't because my dad was a pastor, because there's a lot of pastors, that it's not a priority for their family. It's not at all. So it wasn't just like a gimme. That wasn't an automatic thing. But I wouldn't be who I am today if it weren't for the fact that my parents chose we're planted in a family, in a church, as a family in a church for spiritual growth and spiritual family. And as I said, the best friends you ever have in your lifetime will be found right here in this church. So the reality is your friends are your future. You show me your friends, I'll show you your future. And, and, and you'll have to have godly friends if you're gonna live a godly life. You've got to have close friends that you can share your life with, and they're sharing their life with you if you're going to have the future that God created you to have. And I'm going to experience the, the future that God created me to have. So, you know, this Mother's Day is kind of hard, especially for me this year. Um, you know, my mom passed away 26 years ago, and I'm missing her more than ever, and I, I think that's because of our daughter's wedding that's coming up at the end of this month, and my daughter, Michaela, our oldest, was her first grandchild. She ended up having 10, and she only lived to see three. Uh, but Michaela was the first one. She used to always talk about her grandbabies, her grandbabies, and she's going to celebrate her grandbabies and, and all this. And I, I'm real grateful that Michaela, of the three that she saw, actually has some, she was two years old, some memories of Mama, of, of Nana. And so here we are, we're, we're going to have this huge family celebration, this great family celebration of her, her wedding, her, her, her wedding coming up. I'm just missing mom more this year than I have in other Mother's Days. And I started thinking about, you know, and it's, it, we, we couldn't invite everybody, you know, and had COVID restrictions even there. But I started thinking about some of the people that are going to be at that wedding, not, not only my father and, and some stepmom and my siblings and my nieces and nephews, but that there's going to be some folks that are going to be at that wedding that are, that are a spiritual family that celebrated my 30th birthday together decades ago. That celebrated when I received a, my last honorary doctorate degree. That, that have celebrated 
the birth of our kids, our graduations. Celebrate all these significant moments in our life. Friends that are family that was made in Valley Christian Church. And so though my mama is not going to be there because she's in heaven, my family by blood and my family by spirit is going to be there to celebrate once again this monumental moment in the life of my family. That's the way God intends for it to be. That's what he wants. Your friends are your future. (laughs) Choose your friends. Choose your future. That's how we build a lasting legacy. Learn Learn to lean into the lordship of Jesus and his word. Rely on your heavenly father's care and provision. Weigh the generational impact of your behavior. Make the changes that you need to. And plant your family in a church for spiritual growth and a spiritual family. Build your house upon the rock. Not just hearing God's word, but doing it. And no matter how bad the storm ever comes, and it will come, Jesus promised, it'll withstand the storm. I'm going to ask, would you bow your heads with me right now? Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word that's so practical. Lord, many of us are frustrated because we've been building on sand and the storm keeps coming and just wiping it out. God, help us today by your grace, Lord, to, to hear your word that we've heard today. But Lord, more than just hear it, that we apply it. We'd live it out. We'd, we'd reshuffle the priorities of our life to reflect our lives being built upon the rock of hearing God's word, hearing your word, and applying it to our lives from this day forward, knowing that we can be confident that no matter when the storm comes, no matter how bad it is, that our house, our family, our marriage will stand because it's built on the rock of Jesus Christ. Thank you, God, for your direction your provision, your care, and your guidance, and that you love us better than we'll ever be able to comprehend so much more. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.